you to bless the word that will come today through our pastor Sam. Bless him, Jesus. Bring to your hearts, to our minds, everything that you want us to learn and save so we can use in times of need. Have your way. Amen. The book of Mark chronicles the last three years of Jesus here on earth. They were pretty intense years, to say the least. Since meeting John the Baptist, he was faced with temptations in the desert, performed miracles, healed people, gained followers, was transfigured and died a criminal's death, only to be raised from the dead. Why should all this matter to you and me? Join us for the last three. What's well, good to be back at Brickle? I haven't been here in a while, and uh, thank you for having me. Um, yeah. Uh, like Simone said, I'm Pastor Sam, one of the Crossbridge pastors. I'm mainly in Miami Springs, and if you're with us for the first time, we're we're going through a series called "The Last Three: The Last Three Years of Mark's uh, Gospel, The Last Three Years of Jesus' Life," written by uh, a Mark. And today we're, we're going to see a lot of deep-seated passions revealed by a lot of people as we find ourselves today in a small town called Bethany. And so if you're watching us online, uh, go ahead and uh, drop a comment on the YouTube or website, wherever you're watching us from. Let us know where you're watching us from. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 14. And if you're in the room today, if you can remain standing for just a little bit more out of reverence for God's word. Here's what God's word says to us today. Mark 14 verses 1 through 11. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold more than a year's wages and the, the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The, the poor you're always going to have with you. And you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You may be seated. What we see here uh, in the text is a contrast in treasuring between Judas and Mary. Mary obviously treasuring Jesus. She's pouring out what's probably uh, uh, the most expensive earthly possession that she ever owned. She's treating Jesus like the priceless pearl that Matthew 13 talks about. Judas, well, he thought, you know what, 30 pieces of silver was a fair price for the pearl. After all, Jesus 
you know, he got out of a lot of tricky situations. Might as well make some extra chicka change while he gets himself out of another one. But what a value miscalculation to have Jesus, the most precious thing in all the universe, sitting in front of you and not not see him. All you could see is perfume puddles. All you could feel is irritated that somebody would waste a year's wage on Jesus. And this story matters. It matters to us. Because, listen, God is always going to lead you, not every day, but every now and then, to life-altering moments. I call them watershed moments, where the decisions you make, like Judas, like Mary, not necessarily what you say, but the decisions you make will reveal the treasure you want. And you could almost hear in Judas's objection, the other, other guy's objection, the world's appraisal of us, right? Like, why would we do this? Why would we pour out our time and our talents and our treasures and our intellect and our youth and our future and our vocation? Why would we pour all of that at Jesus' feet? Why would, we, why would we do that? The world looks at us and our affections and they, they say, what an absolute waste of time. But Jesus wants us to waste our lives like Mary wasted her perfume. Because at the end of the day, it's not truly a waste, right? It's true worship. That's what she's doing here. Jesus wants us to pour out our lives, our love for Jesus in a way where it shows, it shows the world that Jesus truly is gain. He is gain for us. Our lives end up preaching to a very confusing world right now, a very hateful world right now, that Jesus is gain. And what the world estimates as gain is loss to us. And the world's scent, the world's aroma, the world's perfume, yeah, that's it's not worth it. Right? We don't want to gain that and lose our soul in the process. So here's a question. How are we wasting our lives? Because at the end of the day, all of us, every single one of us, is in the treasure-seeking business. We're all in the happy hunting business. All of us, every single one of us, every day, we're presented with the same two choices that we see here in the text in three different areas. First, we're presented with these two choices in the area of sacrifice. Verse 3 and 4 says, she broke the box of ointment. She poured it on Jesus and said, I want you to imagine with me this scene, right? I was trying to place myself in the story here. Imagine everybody's having happy conversations. The table, dinner table is buzzing with happy. It's like Thanksgiving, right, for some of us. Everybody's talking. Lazarus is alive. He is alive. He's probably fielding a whole bunch of questions like, hey, bro, what's it like to die and come back from the dead? I don't know. You know, I saw this light. I don't know. Martha's probably filling empty wine bowls, cleaning empty plates. Mary disappears and then reappears out of her room with a, with a wooden box and an alabaster jar. She kneels down. She lets her head dress down. She starts pouring it on Jesus' head. John's gospel adds, she starts pouring it on his feet, drying her head, uh, her, her, his feet with her, with her hair. Conversations would trail, right? Jesus is now focusing on what she's, he's moved at what she's doing. Everybody in the room is now paying attention because they know how expensive this ointment really was. This isn't something you put in a stocking. This isn't some cheap bottle of, I don't know, it's a Coco Chanel, is that the thing now? Right? This is pure, this is a, 
a rare root extract from the Himalayan mountains. I don't even know where that is. People would save years to, 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 to save in today's market with inflation, it's about maybe $25,000. People would save years to prepare this ointment, to purchase this ointment and prepare for their own funeral arrangement. And she's pouring it all out at Jesus' feet. And just imagine, boom, the scent fills the room. You smell this stuff, right? A big waft of this nard floats over all the fried chicken that they were eating that night, right? <laughs> the disciples probably exchanging wide-eyed glances like, they know, they know what's going on. And Jesus is moved by this act of, you know, and I wonder, are we, are we also taking the same philosophy into our worship of Jesus? I wonder if, we're, if, if the scent and the aroma that we're given off to the world is that we really, we really truly esteem Jesus more than anything that we are, have, and hope to ever be. I wonder, I wonder if, if we're showing ex extravagant love, she's being extra extravagant love to our Lord. Because watch this, if the, if the old system is built around sacrifices in the temple, right, bulls, goats, pigeons, doves, all that stuff, the new system... Also built around sacrifices, but of a different kind. Listen to how the author of Hebrews uh, describes it. He says this, through Jesus, very important, it's a qualifier here, underline that. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Don't forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is Please, you know what God wants from us? He wants two things. He wants a people who offer him two things, a sacrifice of praise. Part of, this, part of the reason why sometimes in, in, you know, some seasons in our lives we're like weak, ineffective, unhappy, is that we're disobeying this exhortation most of the time. How are we expressing God's greatness in our gatherings? Are, are, is the fruit of, of praise ever continually growing from our lips? And that doesn't mean that we should attach a praise the Lord at the end of every sentence, right? Like if I, if I, Brandon, how are you doing today? I haven't seen you in six months. Wow, good to, golly gee, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, that, don't do that, that's weird, right? That's annoying. But hey, listen, <laughs> an expression, we should weave some kind of expression of God's goodness and greatness into our committee meetings, into our business meetings, into our small group meetings. Not the same, you know, kind of expression, but at some level, weave some kind of expression of how good God really is. Some of us live pathetically beneath the level of this form of worship, forgetting that God isn't calling us into some experience that's bad for us. This is great for us. It isn't bad and it isn't impossible because it's through Jesus. Here's the second thing God is looking for, an offer of sacrifice, of praise, but also a sacrifice of a shared life. Got to do life together. We got to do good continually to one another continually. But listen, if your heart is not amazed at the grace of God, if your mind is not gripped by the truth of God, if your life is not steadied by the sovereignty of God, if your faith is not resting in the power of God, if your hope is not filled with the glory of God, and I can go on and on, you're not going to sacrifice much of anything. 
God created you for the purpose that you would live to glorify him in a manner that is pleasing to God. And we do this, we do this by coming to him in faith and offering him a sacrifice of praise and of a shared life of good deeds. That's what Mary is doing. Here's the second area where these two choices reveal themselves, these deep-seated passions in our heart. The area of service. Verse 8, she did what she could. I like that. She did what she could. Pretty much sums up the depth of her service to Jesus. Jesus is moved. Judas also moved by irritation. Other guys, they were criticizing her. Jesus gives them a good old-fashioned shushola. Shush. She did what she could. She's, doing, she's got her window of opportunity to do a once-in-a-lifetime service to me. And the application is clear for us that whenever God speaks to our hearts, that's the time to step up and serve. How many times do we ignore the Holy Spirit's impulses and guidings when it's time to step up and serve? How many times while ignoring what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us, what God is looking for is a group of people just like you who's willing to surrender everything they are and everything they hope to be to the will of God for a group of people who will assume the place of a servant before him, a group of people who will uh, uh, respond when he speaks to them, a group of people who he can say, hey, they did what they could. Here's our problem. Mark presents two different choices, two, two philosophies here, two ways of being happy, right? The one, Mary, is this rare ointment. She's pouring it out. Jesus, uh, Judas, sorry, he's wanting to please himself. Here's our problem, right? And I think we can relate to this problem. Sometimes when it, it, it feels like our heart tries to, uh, it, it tries to have faith in these moments, but then our minds try to make sense of what's going on. That's what these guys are. This doesn't make any sense. Sometimes when we give at this, this level of sacrifice and we serve at this sacrificial level, always, this happens to me, maybe I'm abnormal, but this happens to me. There's this little voice that says, this doesn't make any sense. That's how my inner voice sounds like. I don't know what yours sounds like, but that's how mine sounds like. This doesn't make any sense. What are you doing? What are you doing? This makes absolute no, and I guess, listen, if we're honest, a lot of the things that we're doing doesn't make any sense. Like if somebody were to visit this church and they see Jocelyn singing, what an amazing voice, she's raising her hand, they're like, what is she, what is she reaching for, right? <laughs> somebody robbing her? Like what's going on? A lot of the things that we do are weird. But listen, when you're going through something and the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you can't figure it out. And you raise your hand and you say, God, you're a big God. You said you're my father. You said you care for me. I can't do this on my own. All of a sudden, surrender makes a lot of sense, right? It makes a whole lot of sense. These guys, they can't make sense of what she's doing. Like we have the benefit of knowing what Jesus was about to do. Like we got the whole picture. We know that this is our one window to do something significant. But the guys, they couldn't see it. They didn't know that they were having a hard time making sense of this woman's sacrifice because the cross hadn't happened, but she saw it. She absolutely saw what they couldn't see, what they couldn't understand, what they were trying to make sense of, this whole thing. They, they, listen, the, 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 the hour was winding down. Jesus was going to do what he was born to do, and they couldn't see it, but she saw it. 
she saw not only this Passover, what's happening right now, the blood that was poured on the post and smeared on the post. In the old system, right, the, pa the Passover lamb was sitting at the table. She saw it. They couldn't see it. She saw it. And she said, my God, if Jesus could stretch his arms and welcome me and receive me and embrace me, then the least I could do is break a vase for him. One author describes it this way, Ked Geyer, he says this, On the cross, stripped of his clothing, Jesus would wear only the perfume that Mary had lavished upon his hair. It was that perfume which filled his nostrils and covered the stench of mockers rabbled around the cross. The Savior had come to earth to break an alabaster jar for humanity. And Mary had come that night to break one for him. It was a jar he never regretted breaking, nor did she. The area of sacrifice, the area of service. Here's the last area. Two choices. Jesus or the world. The area of surrender. Verse 3 says they were chilling. No, it doesn't say that. They said they were reclining at the table. Like back in the day, you would eat, not like this, right? You would eat dinner. Like today, you would, you know, a lot of us, we don't eat dinner at the table anymore. That's a shame. Like we, we go to our room, we go to our den, the floor, wherever you live, in the loft, maybe at Brickle, I don't know. We eat at the table, right? Growing up, I used to eat at the table. Back in the day, the table was probably this low, and your neck would recline closest to the table. Your feet were furthest away from the table. So if I would approach you like this, I would be considerably taller than you. And so kneeling down was a statement of surrender, right? There were only four kinds of people you would anoint back in the day. Kings, priests, prophets, and the dead. And I believe, this is just me, it's my opinion, I believe that in Mary's heart, Jesus was all of these things. He was all of these things to her. Remember that this is the same Mary that told Jesus, hey, if you had been there maybe just yesterday, my brother won't be, you know, he'd, he'd still be walking around, he'd still be alive. It's the same Mary that takes Jesus to the tomb and hears as one word, one word raises her brother's life back from the dead for sure. Her faith enabled her to see beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, to see Jesus raised from the dead, absolutely surrendered to the Lord. What about us? You know, John Stott, uh, theologian, author, preacher, he, uh, he admitted the truth that a lot of us um, uh, 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 feel but fail to confess. Listen to what he says. He says this. He says, the thing I know will give me the deepest joy, namely to be alone and unhurried in the presence of God, aware of his presence, my heart open to worship him is often the thing I least want to do. And haven't we been here before? Have you ever experienced God change your situation? With just one word. Have you ever experienced the power of God? Haven't we seen God do the impossible in our life, in somebody else's life? And so does our life display this level of, of, of sacrifice and surrender and service, kneeling down as, 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 and proclaiming Jesus as absolute Lord and God. Just like Mary broke her box of ointment, are we not breaking our lives at the altar of God, allowing him to extract every last drop of glory from us? Because that's the price 
of surrender. And that's the thing we don't like to do because sometimes it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. But you know what really doesn't make sense? (laughs) That the spotless Lamb of God would come down and spill his blood and give his life for sinners like you and sinners like me. That doesn't make any sense. We need to be careful not to grow too comfortable, too complacent that we're at the table thinking we belong there, right? And then the opportunity of sacrifice and service and surrender comes up and we're like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I can have some more chicken or something, but I'm, you know, I'm good. We pass up this opportunity to sacrifice and to serve and to surrender. But if you really remember what God brought you out of, what he saved you from, what he is, and you truly appreciate what he is to you, it isn't a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice at all. It makes sense for me to give to him because everything I am, I am because of him. It's not a sacrifice at all. And nothing would make me happier than to give it all to God. There have been moments in my life that I prayed. I didn't know my marriage was going to make it. I didn't know that my oldest son, I thought I was going to lose him. There were moments in my life where I prayed, God, are you even there? Are you even listening to me? And then one day, boom, one word. One word flipped the situation. One thing happened. God changed the situation. What seemed hopeless, he led me to, to, to peace and joy and blessings. Hey, you don't mind being extra. You don't mind being extra when, when you've got a personal experience with God. I'm not going to experience celebration and resist the sacrifice. That's not going to be me. You can chill at the table if you want to. That's not going to be me. I'm going to be extra, extravagant. I'm going to be extra in the way I worship and the way I serve God. And when I give it, when I give it, I know it ain't really gone. It's the resurrection. I'm giving it with expectation. I heard you all have expectation Sundays once a month. Right? I might sit in one Sunday, right, like a mystery shopper or something. I'm just sitting in the back. I want to see what that's all about, you know. I give it with expectation. Remember this. When God speaks to you and gives you a word, he doesn't give you something you already know. Like he doesn't tell poor people you're poor. They know they're poor, right. He tells poor people they're rich. When God speaks to your heart, right, It's always something that requires faith to execute. And so when you hear the voice of God speaking to you this week, you got two choices. You can either place your faith in the one who poured it all out for you, the resurrection. Or, and I'm not talking about shutting our intellect off, but sometimes we we try to make sense of something and we rationalize our way out of doing something significant for the Lord. Amen. Church, would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what an amazing story we have here. And what amazing grace that you should send your only begotten son to be born as a man and suffer and die for me, for us. Thank you that the, that the Lord Jesus was willing to face the enormous consequences of the cross and become sin for my sake, for our sake. Thank you that the punishment that I deserve, that we deserve was poured out in him, in our stead, so that by believing in him, we might be forgiven, we might be redeemed, we might be justified, sanctified, and glorified. I pray that our lives can be an example of sacrifice, of service, 
of surrender to others, that our lives can be an echo of that old hymn. We don't sing them like we used to, but that old hymn that says, Take my love, my Lord I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.